Thank you for listening to Vanguard of Hollywood. I'm Shannon Allen. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is a landmark film. It introduced the psycho bitty or hag horror subgenre, and just as importantly, Baby Jane paired career-long arch nemeses Betty Davis and Joan Crawford on screen for the first time. Finally, audiences could watch the infamous Davis and Crawford feud play out on the big screen. To celebrate Baby Jane's 60th anniversary, we'll go through the film's horrifically fascinating plot, then behind the scenes to all the drama between Betty and Joan. The film begins in a flashback to 1917. Jane Hudson, Betty Davis, is a child star of the Shirley Temple fashion. With her blonde ringlets, Baby Jane sings and dances her way into the hearts of audiences everywhere. Offstage, Baby Jane is the apple of her father's eye. She's also a spoiled brat who treats her sister Blanche, Joan Crawford, horribly. Jane overshadows Blanche in every way. But as Mother Hudson tells Blanche, quote, You're the lucky one, Blanche. Really, you are. Someday it's going to be you that's getting all the attention. And when that happens, I want you to try to be kinder to Jane and your father than they are to you now. Do you know what I mean? I hope you'll try to remember that, unquote. To which young Blanche bitterly responds, quote, I won't forget. You bet I won't forget, unquote. And as we'll soon see, Blanche really doesn't forget. Flash forward to 1935. Both Jane and Blanche are Hollywood movie stars, or rather, Jane wants to be a star, but her childhood talent and beauty faded in adulthood. Blanche, on the other hand, has blossomed in both areas. She's now a beautiful, talented, and respected megastar. It's only because of Blanche's influence that Jane receives any film work. Young adult Jane is bitterly jealous of Blanche's success, and she still doesn't treat Blanche very well. At a party one night, Jane spends the whole evening making fun of Blanche and imitating her. Afterwards, the Hudson sisters drive home together. Somehow, Blanche ends up crippled. Her limp body is found sandwiched between her car and the grand iron gate in front of her mansion. Three days later, Jane is located at a hotel in a drunken stupor. It seems obvious that an insanely jealous Jane rammed the car into Blanche. The now crippled Blanche must remain in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Flash forward to the film's present day of 1962. Despite their dramatic past, the middle-aged Hudson sisters live together. They're viewed as the eccentrics of the neighborhood. Blanche seems relatively normal, but she's stuck in her bedroom all day, unable to even go downstairs in her wheelchair because there's no elevator. Besides Elvira, Maidie Norman, a maid who comes a few times each week, Jane is Blanche's only contact with the outside world. It's Jane who brings Blanche all of her meals and cashes the checks from Blanche's investments, which the two women live on. Jane also answers the phone calls, steals and reads Blanche's mail, drinks like a fish, wears crazy Victorian-era little girl outfits, and cakes on the makeup. If the description above didn't tip you off, I'll tell you straight out. Jane Hudson has lost her mind. 
In her head, she's still Baby Jane Hudson, the world's darling child entertainer. When Jane discovers that Blanche plans to sell the house and put Jane in a home, Jane goes from merely treating her sister like a dog to actively trying to kill her. Jane first tries to kill Blanche by starving her. Jane begins serving Blanche inedible dinners that she knows Blanche won't eat, including a dead rat from the cellar and Blanche's dead pet parakeet. You wouldn't be able to do all these awful things to me if I weren't in this chair, Blanche emotionally cries, and Jane, cruelly but logically, responds, but you are Blanche, you are in the chair. Jane beats Blanche almost senseless after catching her on the phone, arranging for a doctor to come take Jane away. Jane then gags and ties Blanche up. When Elvira discovers Blanche's terrible state, Jane decides that now she must kill Elvira with a hammer to keep her from alerting the police. When Elvira's body turns up a few days after Jane dumps it, Jane decides the only thing left for her to do now is take Blanche down to the beach. Blanche is incredibly weak from starving to death, so she can't really put up a fight. While basically just waiting to die on the beach, Blanche finally comes clean with Jane about what really happened the night of the crippling accident. As Blanche explains, quote, You weren't driving that night, Jane. I made you waste your whole life thinking you'd crippled me, but you didn't do it. I did it myself. I watched you get out of the car, I wanted to run you down and crush you because you'd been so mean to me at the party. But you saw the car coming and I hit the gate. I snapped my own spine." Unquote. Jane, who's completely lost her mind, responds simply, quote, then you mean all this time we could have been friends? Unquote. After Blanche's revelation, Jane picks up a couple of strawberry ice cream cones for them to enjoy. A crowd gathers as Jane dances in the sand with the two cones. The police, who've been looking for Jane ever since Elvira's body was found, spot the scene. They close in on Jane and discover Blanche's probably dead body. And that's the end of the film. The hate Betty Davis and Joan Crawford shared for each other dated back to Betty's 1935 Warner Brothers film, Dangerous. During filming, Betty began an affair with her leading man, Francho Tone, who, not coincidentally, was Joan's fiancé. Reportedly, the affair was Betty's way of getting at Joan, whose beauty and star treatment over at MGM she envied. Joan, on the other hand, was already jealous of Betty's talents and the meaty roles that Warner Brothers gave her. Joan knew of Betty's romance with her fiancé, but proceeded to marry Franco Tone anyway. As it turned out, the Crawford-Davis feud would far outlive the marriage. Fueled by their mutual envy and similarly strong personalities, the feud between Betty and Joan would ultimately outlast all of Betty's four marriages and all of Joan's four marriages. By the early 1960s, both Betty and Joan were experiencing career slumps. They were also both in financial trouble. When Joan's husband, Alfred Steele, the CEO of Pepsi-Cola, died, Joan inherited all of his debt. 
Betty, on the other hand, was broke and unpopular after proving incredibly difficult and unreliable during her run on Broadway in Tennessee Williams' The Night of the Iguana. Due to her financial hardships, up-and-coming director Robert Aldrich didn't have much trouble signing Joan Crawford on as Blanche in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. But he correctly guessed that signing Betty Davis would be another story. Especially if Betty knew that Joan Crawford would be her co-star. Joan had approached Betty with the idea of co-starring with her in Baby Jane some months earlier. Betty's private response to Joan's offer was predictable. Quote, If she thinks I'm going to play that stupid bitch in the wheelchair, she's got another thing coming. Unquote. To get around Betty's opposition, Aldrich had his assistant, Walter Blake, make Betty an offer she couldn't refuse. A check for $25,000 up front just for signing on to make the film. Betty read the script, loved it, and asked Blake who her co-star would be. Blake lied and said he didn't yet know. Quote, I couldn't tell her it was Crawford because they were enemies. I had to get her signature on that check and then tell her when she couldn't back out. Unquote. It was a sly move. And it worked. Betty took the check, signed, and cashed it. When she arrived on set two days later, Betty was shocked to find none other than Joan Crawford sitting next to director Robert Aldrich. You're kidding. I won't work with her, Betty announced. To which Blake answered, well, Betty, you've got to. We just paid you $25,000. Betty knew he was right and admitted defeat. She would star alongside Crawford and, as Betty's iconic character Margot Channing would say, it was a bumpy film set. A significant point of contention between Betty and Joan on Baby Jane was their differing opinions of how sisters Jane and Blanche Hudson should look. Betty never shied away from de-glamorizing herself for a role. In fact, it seemed at times that she enjoyed it. For her role of Jane Hudson, Betty envisioned a woman who, in Betty's own words, quote, I felt Jane never washed her face and just added another layer of makeup each day. What I had in mind, no professional makeup man would have dared put on me. Unquote. So Betty Davis took charge of her own makeup for the film and created Jane Hudson's grotesque look herself. Though some doubted her instincts initially, as filming progressed, it was hard to argue with the look Betty created for her character. Jane's garish appearance was perfect. Joan Crawford, on the other hand, wouldn't be caught dead looking anything less than glamorous. To Betty's major annoyance, Joan decided on making Blanche a beautiful crippled recluse. Betty was quite vocal about her exasperation. Quote, Miss Crawford was a fool. A good actress looks the part. Why she insisted on making Blanche look glamorous, I just don't know. Blanche was a cripple. She was a recluse. She'd never left the house or saw anybody, yet Miss Crawford made her appear as if she lived in Elizabeth Arden's beauty salon. Unquote. Joan shot back with her own criticism of Betty's over-the-top grotesque getup for Jane. Quote, My reasons for making Blanche glamorous were just as valid as hers with all those layers of rice powder she wore and that ghastly lipstick. 
but Miss Davis was always partial to covering up her face in motion pictures. She called it art. Others might call it camouflage, a cover-up for the absence of beauty. Unquote. In addition to these mental games, Betty and Joan found ways to physically abuse each other during filming as well. The scene in Baby Jane, where Jane kicks the crippled Blanche almost senseless on the floor, was Betty's golden opportunity to take her aggression towards Joan, out on Joan. It was rehearsed and shot with Betty kicking a dummy, but for the close-ups, Joan herself had to be there on the floor taking the beating. Betty was supposed to just pretend to kick Joan. But perhaps not surprisingly, Betty kicked Joan for real. Though she always insisted that, quote, I barely touched her, unquote. But somehow gossip columnist Hedda Hopper was led to believe, and write in her column, that one of Betty's accidental kicks, quote, raised a fair lump on Joan's head, unquote. It wasn't just Betty who dished out the physical punishment. Joan had her own opportunity to make Betty suffer in the scene where Jane pulls the crippled Blanche from her bed and down the hall. Joan decided that the day this scene was shot would be a good time to wear a lead-lined weightlifting belt to work. And she did. When the scene finished filming, Betty's back was so destroyed from lifting the deadweight Joan, she reportedly screamed bloody murder. Joan's next trick doesn't really qualify as physical punishment, but still proved to be a hardship for Betty. It was rumored that Joan had three different sizes of falsies she liked to wear. Each day, Joan strapped on whatever pair she felt best fit the scene. This became problematic for Betty in the final scenes of Baby Jane, when Blanche lies on her back in the sand and Jane hovers above her. Betty took issue with the size of falsies that Joan selected to wear that day. To Betty, they seemed to defy gravity. As Betty complained, quote, You never know what size boobs that broad has strapped on. She must have a different set for each day of the week. She's supposed to be shriveling away while baby Jane starves her to death, but her chest keeps growing. I keep running into them like the Hollywood Hills. Unquote. Betty Davis made endless, craftily worded, snarky comments about Joan Crawford during filming of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. But Joan's superior payment plan arguably gave her the last laugh. Though Betty was paid more upfront for the picture, Joan was paid $30,000 upfront while Betty received $60,000 upfront, Joan also negotiated for 15% of Baby Jane's profits while Betty was only in for 10% of the film's worldwide gross profits. When Whatever Happened to Baby Jane premiered, it made back its production cost in a mere 11 days. It was then that Betty knew she'd made a mistake by not negotiating for a deal like Crawford's. Ultimately, Joan made over $1 million on Baby Jane compared to Betty's $600,000 a fact that annoyed Betty the rest of her life. Joan further taunted Betty at the 1963 Academy Awards. Betty was nominated for her work in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, while Joan was overlooked. Disgruntled, Joan called the other Best Actress nominees and offered to accept the award on their behalf should any of them win and not be able to attend the ceremony. 
When the absent Anne Bancroft won the Oscar that year, Joan happily glided past Betty to accept the award and proceeded to take advantage of every photo opportunity to pose with the other winners that year, while Betty lamented the loss of an Oscar she felt she rightly deserved. Oh well, at least Betty had the chance to call Joan an old broad in public. While promoting whatever happened to Baby Jane, Betty offended Joan when she shared that, quote, Everybody in Hollywood told our director not to make a picture with two old broads, unquote. The next day, Betty received a telegram from Joan with a very specific request, quote, Please do not refer to me in that manner in the future, unquote. The resounding success of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane led to an attempted follow-up pairing of Davis and Crawford in 1964's Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. But the drama was just too much. Joan was replaced with Olivia de Havilland, a female co-star Betty actually got along with. Betty and Joan would never make another film together. Despite the infamous feud and nearly lifelong catfight, Betty Davis did have some really nice words to say about Joan Crawford. Quote, Whatever I say about Miss Crawford, she's a star, and she's one of the few left. No question about it. Unquote. And that wraps up my 60th anniversary tribute to Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. For delicious recipes and all things classic Hollywood, visit my website, vanguardofhollywood.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from.